Welcome to the 17th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When Jan Libby and Tim Landgraf bought a farm in north-central Iowa in 1989, they were basically looking for some elbow room with a natural bent to it. Jan's background is in environmental education, and Tim's is in engineering. They both liked the idea that across the road from the farm was a 500-acre public natural area. For the first few years, they didn't farm the land, mostly renting the crop acres out and relying on Tim's engineering job in town for a living. But then a large industrialized hog operation was built on neighboring property. This drug Libby and Landgraf into the middle of the hog wars that were beginning to rack the region at the time. This battle over industrialized agriculture's impact on the environment and rural communities got the couple to thinking about their own role in stewarding the land, as well as how they could utilize their skills and resources to get more people to take an interest in protecting the rural environment. This is especially challenging in their part of Iowa, which is dominated by a desert of corn and soybean fields, as well as large hog CAFOs. In 1996, Jan and Tim launched One Step at a Time Gardens. This is a community-supported agriculture operation, called CSA for short. That means consumers buy a share in an operation before the growing season starts. In return, they receive a regular delivery of sustainably raised fruits and vegetables from spring into fall. The CSA model is seen as a key way for eaters to make the kinds of connections with their food that have real impacts on how the land is farmed. After starting with six members, today One Step at a Time has 120 shareholders, many of which live in Des Moines, which is 100 miles south of the farm. The farm now generates enough cash that Tim has been able to quit his town job. But the farm is not just a source of income for the couple and their two children. Throughout the years, they have continued to focus on integrated food production and natural habitat. The farmers have used various state and federal programs, as well as a lot of sweat equity, to restore a prairie and a wetland, as well as timber and wild corners for wildlife. All of these natural areas are wrapped around some very productive gardens. It's paying off ecologically. The farm is abuzz with wild pollinators, and songbirds, waterfowl, upland game birds, amphibians, and mammals thrive there. On a recent fall day, the couple provided a tour of their gardens and natural areas. Afterwards, we sat down and talked about how they are striving to make their farm into a change agent for creating healthier communities and landscapes. I look at the farm as a social change agent, and the agriculture experience through the farm um, really inviting people to think a little bit more about what agriculture is all about and looking at the really bigger picture that the interest in local food is connected to some deeper social shifts and changes, which I think have to do with some fundamental principles. And I think it's fascinating that I think that shift has, in a manner, gotten some of its new roots through agriculture. And I think people who understand more about what anthropology and sociology or some of those other disciplines, humanity disciplines, could probably explain it to me more clearly, but I feel like we sort of experience it and observe it. But It's not so much that the people are coming here to experience that, because we, we really don't get a lot of our farm members that actually come to the farm. Um, part of that's got to do with People's lives are full enough. They've got enough things to do. Part of it's got to do with distance. You know, we're in a pretty rural county, uh, quite a ways from any of our our farm delivery sites. So as a consequence, there's quite a drive to come all the way out here. On the other hand, the, the other tools that the CSA model gives you, you know, by doing that weekly note, every week you've got a way to contact and throw a little tidbit at those people. 
maybe open their eyes a little bit to some things they're reading about in other forms of media that they're reading or seeing on TV or hearing on the radio. Yeah. But now they're getting this weekly note that also that kind of throws, you know, this is this is what we're experiencing, this is what we're living, and here's the food that we're producing that you're now eating and consuming and working into your daily routine. Right. So I think that helps connect perhaps in a way that just going to the grocery store, you don't necessarily have that direct connection to, to yeah. where it was actually produced and who actually did that work and how was it produced. Yeah, and maybe even a you know certified organic label has its place, but you may not even get that connection through that necessarily. Not necessarily, yeah. Um, if you only stop at that label, you haven't looked into the sort of whole system thinking that is connected to being directly engaged with someone who's trying to implement some ideas on the land. I'm at the grocery store, the organic label itself gives you some confidence about how it was produced, but doesn't engage you in that practice perhaps as much as being a member of a CSA could and can. Hopefully the people that are they're buying the food from us, our farm members, are making the connection that agriculture is not something that, you know, is done out there. It's you know, we all eat food, right. okay, and all food comes from some sort of agricultural practice. Hopefully that helps make that connection to say that agriculture is not just out there. It's, it's something that's important to me also as a consumer. The one thing, too, is that um, if people can, you know, here we are in Iowa, some of the richest soil in the world, most agriculturally most productive area in the world, and yet you go into these local communities and it's sometimes the worst selection of food you can find you have these real food deserts and you guys you most you you have a lot of members in this area and some of the towns around but the bulk of them though are in des moines which is you know the major metropolitan area 100 miles away what can we do have you guys ever thought about how to get more of that uh, message out to the local folks to the people who maybe are being hurt the most by not having a good selection of food and maybe being hurt the most by some of the negative environmental consequences of that industrial food system. I, my response to that would be some of the local local food work that through some of my time and so forth, I would say the farm has been a part of. I couldn't do that if the business didn't support us staying in the community. So in a way, I always say it's, you know, the farm is making this possible. We did a project in Wright County for um, a couple of years to try to make local food more available to folks of lower income and try to do some promotion. We had some food festivals. We made some vouchers available. We worked through connections with the public health nurse. We worked through the WIC clinics. We worked through the farmer's markets. Um, But for sort of lack of more sufficient capacity, that sort of wound itself down, and I've shifted some energies into a farmer's market in Mason City, which has now evolved most recently. We have a little mini-grant from Leopold to kind of help us. We held the Iowa Network for Community Ag workshop in Clear Lake last February, and that brought some new people into sort of the core. So now I feel like we have this tiny little critical mass of, of support so that we're going to be putting an event on at the end of September, which is going to focus on policymakers and people who have their hands on some significant financial decisions and involve them into a deeper conversation about local food as economic and community development and then end that particular project with a a big community celebration meal. 
I think your work is more shifted to the regional approach. Because I don't think we have the capacity to move the conversation far enough on that local, based on my experience in Wright County. But if we take that regional approach, then we can start to put some resources into place that then can draw down and impact those those more local. Because the the farm and food connections is still happening on a very local basis, but the resourcing to that is not what it could be. And with some more regional support, I think we could boost those little local experiences it takes us. But it is, I mean, as I said before, I use our farm's name all the time, but it is one step at a time, and you just sort of pay attention to what, what's the conversation, what's going on, where are some opportunities, where are some resources, what can we do next, and how does that move that conversation along. You know, taking it back to the local farm level here, particularly we just had a really nice tour of your operation where we saw how you've integrated your your gardens with some native prairie, with some wetlands, some uh, uh, wildlife plantings, some tree habitat, uh, s- some plantings that way. And then, you know, it's just really nice. You come over the hill and you're looking out over this uh, this wild, kind of this natural area that's across the road here. And you had taught, you guys had talked a little bit about how even when you were getting these established and you were realizing you're going to be farming for a living here on the land, you didn't necessarily see the, you kind of saw, here's the wildlife area or here's the natural area and here's the farm area. But it, I really got a sense just walking around, uh, those lines are really getting blurred. You're kind of integrating those. Does, does that, is that true? Do you feel that way? Or? I think as we think about things you know as we learn more about agriculture um, neither one of us had come from a an educational background you know we, we didn't study agriculture in, in school really this move back to agriculture has happened since we've become engaged in the farming and so we're kind of we spend a lot of effort trying to really to teach ourselves and to learn how to be a better producer okay so as our thinkings kind of evolve um, and you know, and we, you're right. We have done all these for, for other reasons than than necessarily coming up with this integrated final product. Uh, done these different plantings, but I guess maybe it's a real best way to put it is a realization of diversity. If you can, the more diversity I think you can incorporate into a farming operation, the more buffered maybe is a way a word to use. The more buffered your operation is, yeah. you've got a, a bank there of you know, whether it's the prairie plantings and the tree plantings and the shrub plantings and the wetland areas, you know, they're each going to harbor different beneficial insects. They're each going to harbor different amphibian critters. You know, those buffers are going to help you when you've got excessive rain or whether you've got, uh, you know, some sort of an insect pest coming along. You know, and, and what, how much they benefit, I, you know, I don't know that we can necessarily gauge, but I know that it helps us. To weather those storms, you know, we don't have to use a lot of insecticides, um, natural or otherwise. I mean, you know, we we choose to be using organic practices, but we we don't have we don't have a lot of insect pressure. But I think that the key is having that planting diversity and, and trying to figure out how can you intersperse what you want to produce, because uh, that's you know at the end of the day we have to produce product to make some money so that we can stay here. Um, we, you know, we're not just doing this for kicks. <laughs> but you have to be able to, to, I think you need that diversity to, to try to, to live closer to the natural environment. Can you guys think of an example when you really did, it really struck you, oh, you know, this is really beneficial to have 
what really pushed us into the conversation that's made us more conscious is maybe two things. I've been trying to work on some of the marketing message to tell the story of the farm. But um, sort of maybe first or overlapping that was we'd had access to some beehives through some friends of ours, and that access got cut short and changed so that they weren't going to be being, bringing beehives. So at the same time that we were losing that access to those beehives was all of this issue about this colony collapse disease and concern about bees and pollinators. We depend on pollinators. And so if we weren't going to have somebody bringing bees on, oh, are there enough native pollinators? And we had a conversation with Eric Matter and learned a little bit more about information through the Xerxes Society and then started to pay attention to the fact that, wait a minute, (laughs) we've been planting all of these wildflowers and we have all of this diverse planting and we may well be in a stronger position. And then learning more about that through um, holding a field day and just planning for that and thinking through that a little bit more. I think it both is um, an important piece of the story to tell a little bit more holistically about the farm and then more lessons to think about, okay, well, how might we be a little bit more um, fully integrating this thinking? I mean, it it happened because we needed to address some wet areas on the farm, and it happened because we want this farmland to be consistent with the ecology of our area Mm -hmm. alongside some natural wetlands at some public area across the road. But then, gosh, again, um, that environmentalist bent is integrating itself into the ag bent, just like when we first came here. So sort of an interesting pattern that, oh, well, wait a minute, this might happen more than once. For more information on One Step at a Time Gardens, see www.ost gardens.com that's www.ostgardens.com more information on the CSA model of farming is on LSP's website at www.landstewardshipproject.org if you have comments or suggestions about this podcast contact Brian Devore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377 thanks to Laura Borgendale a western minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 